Welcome to the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast, the show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast. I'm so happy to have as my guest, um, Tiffany Jana. Pronouns are they, them, she, her. Um, would you please introduce yourself? Yes, thanks for having me on. I'm Dr. Tiffany Jana. I am an awareness artist. I use every available medium I can get my hands on to bring people together and to make social justice and transformative justice the most pleasurable thing we can do. So I'm also a pleasure activist as of recently. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, shit. Okay. Definitely want to know what that is. All right. So we start with always with two questions. Why is it important to cause a scene and how are you causing a scene? Well, it's important to cause a scene because for some reason, unbeknownst to me, the vast majority of humanity is walking around sleepwalking. They you know, often are unaware that they're just walking through the world in ways that are um, not productive or at worst harmful. And causing a scene helps wake people up. Um, not only to their own presence and possible impact, but to whatever it is that you're causing a scene about. So wherever you see uh, things that need to be addressed in the world, it can be you know the things that need to be corrected and highlighted, or it can be the positive aspirational aspects of life that we need to put more um, you know sort of more emphasis on. Like if you look at the news, you know I don't watch the news anymore. I'll listen to curated news from time to time, but I don't watch it on television because it's always highlighting negative stuff. Um, we need people causing a scene about all of the amazing things that are happening in the world and all of the victories that people are celebrating. So causing a scene is about raising awareness. And that's why I call myself an awareness artist. And so how are you specifically causing a scene? Oh, a great number of ways. (laughs) Uh, I think that I read somewhere that, you know, just being a joyful uh, person of color, particularly gender minority of color, um, and and existing joyfully and unapologetically is its own, you know, is its own scene, is its own act of revolutionary defiance, because the world is structured in mm-hmm. a way as to um, kind of negate or underplay or downplay or undermine our happiness and our joy and our success. So my first way of causing a scene is just by being happy and successful unapologetically black. And as of 2019, I'm identifying as non-binary, which, you know, I come from a Christian background. And for a lot of people, uh, you know, depending on the generation or the state of mind, that is just an unnecessary change that I have made. And and really, it's not a change. All I've I've accessed is language uh, to be able to more clearly demonstrate and live into who I've always been. So I'm causing a scene through my you know, LGBT identification as non-binary, which is a subset of trans. I'm causing a scene by being, you know, a, a, a (laughs) a sort of revolutionary in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, because I've been developing metrics around an otherwise very nebulous, um, (laughs) field of study. And I'm now putting concrete numbers behind it and, and diversity ROI, which, uh, is is challenging for a lot of people that we can possibly have real accountability, which I'm all about. Um, and then, you know, for the first time in my adult life, you know, I wrote an article called The Delusion of White Supremacy on, on Medium. And uh, like, I don't like to use the words white supremacy without prefacing that with delusion, because it's something that we're all adversely affected by, whether you're, you know, white, black or otherwise. And in naming, you know, words have power. So being able to name that white supremacy is a delusion. If you say white supremacy by itself, words have power and somehow there's an implication that whiteness was ever supreme and it never has been and never will be. So the delusion of white supremacy for me is a, defa- a fact of de- an act of defiance and an act of causing a scene by naming the thing, pointing it out, and then providing people with tools and skills um, and, and things that they can use to help break down the delusion of white supremacy in their own lives and in their workplaces. And I do this all under the umbrella of pleasure activism in which, and I think, um, I think uh, Adrian Marie Brown, the author of Pleasure Activism uh, and Emergent Strategy for you know, introducing me to this concept because I believe that all of these changes, like there's, there, there are different ways to approach 
um, you know, the work of activism, the work of inclusion. And my bent has always been towards the aspirational. I think that justice uh, and, and, you know, reform and, you know, the transformational work can be done in a way that is joyful and everyone can join in the party um, by shifting their mindset and finding ways to make it pleasurable. Fuck. Okay. Okay. All right. I usually take notes as my guest. I just was like, just listening. <laughs> because you hit on so many, you hit on so many things. And I just didn't want to just like miss something. Because when we first, okay, so how, let me explain how I came okay. to you. I don't think you even know that. Um, I am a business strategist. So I have co- consulting clients who I'm, okay, so hopefully when I say this, it'll, it'll pick up on a lot of the threads you just laid down. So I do not call myself an inclusion and diversity specialist. That bothers me because that should be the bedrock of your organization. Um, people have having authentic welcoming and feeling psychological safety in the, in the, in a, um, knowledge economy is required for you to get anything out of them for you to differentiate and, and innovate and be competitive. And so I read the B Corp handbook two years ago, I think it was. And, um, I was working, working with a client, with some clients and I was like, let's read this book because they have, um, they're, they're, you know, p- people have these aspirations of being companies for good, quote unquote, but we're missing so much because people's perspectives are so limited. So I was like, this is a good book on, um, some strategies. Um, let's, let's read this. And then one came, he was like, oh, there's a second edition. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to, yeah, let me just go on to get it to see if, if it changed. Oh my God, did it change? Because you're in it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I love that B Corp and how this book is written. It puts inclusion and diversity as fundamental to any business. And that is, I t- t- keep telling people, we're not creating widgets anymore. This is not the industrial age. I give you a binder. And you need to get on a similar line and you create a hundred widgets a day, but they have to be identical to everybody else because they have to go into a thousand different things. We're in an information slash. It has to be that information needs to be turned into knowledge so that so that we can compete. But information goes in, knowledge comes out. And if I don't feel safe enough, if I don't feel included, if it's not diverse enough spectrum there, I'm going to keep that to myself. Um, and, and, and I can't, and, and organizational leaders aren't going to have access to leverage what I know and how I do my job and I'm going to leave. And then when I leave, they're going to be like, well, two weeks, three weeks, month later, what's going on here? What's going on? Well, you know, Tiffany left and they're like, but what do you mean Tiffany? Well, Tiffany was doing all the things and, um, Tiffany just left because she didn't feel included every time she spoke up at a meeting. Somebody shut her down. Uh, people wanted to touch her hair. Um, all kinds of weird stuff was going on. And we just, you know what? We're so, we did not realize how much Tiffany played an integral role in making us successful. Yes, that is problematic. And, and this is what I'm seeing when, when I do my consultations. I'm talking to future clients and they're like, well, I thought I had a problem with because I can't recruit people from marginalized communities. But what you're, what I'm noticing is I'm just not ready. I'm like, right. yeah, your organization is not even, is not even ready for this. Yeah. I call that the container theory, right? You've got to, you know, people always want to address the symptom. Oh, let's just bring more, you know, bodies of color and, you know, bodies from under, you know, under, uh, underappreciated groups into the environment. But if you haven't optimized your environment for inclusive behavior, then no one's going to feel safe or welcome. And that's actually toxic and dangerous to the people you've invited in, into your scene. It, uh, and, and, and when they get it, they're like, oh, shit, <laughs> we got work to do. I'm like, yes, yes. I can't even help you do the things that you hire, want to hire me for because you don't have a space that supports what you're trying to do. And this, and then I want to tie into, oh, I love what you said about white supremacy because what I tell people all the time, um, white supremacy is the it, right now. What we're seeing is white supremacy is the is is the parasite that's eating its host. Amen. But white supremacy, no one escapes white supremacy. I, t- t- black folks, everybody is dealing with some level of internalized white supremacy and is. anti-blackness. Yep. And and these are the things we need to address. So it's yep. not just yes, I have to 
keep flagging, you know, like waving in the flag of white folks. Hey, 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 hey. But when I'm also looking at, um, um, when I, when we air this, it'll be not recent, but there was a recent when, um, um, what's the, what's Beyonce's daughter name? Um, blue. Yeah. They're, they're blue Beyonce and, um, um, the stallion, um, Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, They did a beautiful Mm -hmm. picture and there was a white woman and a black man who decided to make fun of what this little girl looks like. And Mm -hmm. it 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 and people highlighted why the the, he demonstrated internalized white supremacy and anti-blackness. And so she and so so did she. And it goes back to how you said that us being joyful. Oh my lord is like is like our kryptonite. And it's so funny because people they will tag us with the angry black. Well, I'm like I'm not angry. I'm just challenging you. What you're saying is utter bullshit and you're going to have to you're going to have to we're going to unpack this. But I'm not angry. I'm sitting in the I'm sitting on the couch right now. Why do I have to be angry? It's like any moment of us being happy is torn apart. Mm-hmm. No one um, I, I, I like you, I refuse to watch any more videos of black people being tortured by police or Becky calling the cops. And I don't, don't send me that. I don't need to see that. Why do I need to be, continue to be traumatized by that? Just so you can see that there's a difference. I tell people all the time, why do I have to, this is, this is the, the issue with also doing this work that I have, that I'm quite mindful of. I have to be harmed in some way for for people in privilege to understand, to believe my lived experience that mm-hmm. I'm being harmed. That's interesting. That's a very interesting perspective. I think that a lot of a lot of people share that. And I feel like, you know, yes, I don't I don't watch these videos and curate them the way that some people do. I think the awareness of them is important. Yes. Both for <laughs> for I mean, I mean that that is the, you know, those videos I think are, you know, the uh, what created kind of a tipping point because until we started re- recording these atrocities, you know, there were way too many, particularly well-meaning white people who honestly believed that everything was post-racial, that everything was copacetic oh. because they couldn't see it. They didn't believe it was real. So they're just waking up and, you know, in, in these last, you know, in these last four or five years and realizing, holy mm-hmm. crap, this is real. But then there's this additional burden of, you know, like I, I, I live what particularly for a person of color is what I would consider a charmed life. You know, I have not been harmed in a great many overt ways. You know, the, the subtle acts of exclusion title of my fourth book, total plug right there. Um, you know, go ahead, go not, ahead. <laughs> notwithstanding, like those are, those are the, the microaggressions, the things that we deal with all the time. Um, but by and large, I'm not experiencing uh, a lot of the things at scale that my brothers and sisters experience. Uh, but being able to certainly being able to point to these things and to you know inform um, particularly the well-meaning white folks that you know this is the reality of of existence. This is the lived experience. I don't need to go through it to share it with you and to have some empathy while you learn. But I do think that it's so important. What I see more and more of now is as these wonderful white people are waking up to the reality of the delusion of white supremacy, they're expecting for people of color and people from, you know, under undervalued communities to educate them and be their teachers. And that is not our place. Like for Ooh, folks like girl. us who do the work, that's different. You can pay me a very high yes. hourly rate yes. wage yes. to help you learn exactly. and to help restructure <laughs> your company around doing this well. But don't you mm-hmm. dare go and ask the nearest person of color or the nearest, you mm-hmm. know, person with a disability about what it is that you need to know. Google it, get a book. And that was the, uh, I think you said you read my, my last article on Medium was, uh, yes, uh, yeah, your white education. Um, absolutely. Like people have to take their own responsibility uh, for, for, you know, for taking on the mantle of becoming an anti-racist. And I love Ibram X. Kendi's most recent book. How to be an anti-racist? Oh, we're reading that. We're we're reading that as a part of. I do a Sunday series, a book club series, and we're reading through that. We're on page uh, chapter sixteen. Amazing. <laughs> My favorite, you know, the, the yeah. sort of big uh, marquee header for me is um, the opposite of racist is not not racist. It's not racist. Exactly. 
So you don't get any more excuses for not taking on the work if you are not being actively anti-racist and supporting anti-racist policy and nurturing anti-racist ideas, then you are by default in our country a racist. And so it's what's funny is how I don't, okay, everybody should know, I don't plan these. I find people that I find interesting. I come on, we didn't rehearse this. I don't know what we're going to talk about. So it's, it's interesting because um, the book that I'm about to start writing is Redefining Capitalism Without White Supremacy, The Economics of Being Anti-Racist. I love it. I can't wait to read it. It goes back to when you were talking about ROI. People want to say, oh, capitalism is evil. No, 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 no. Capitalism, Marxism, cap- uh, communism, socialism, fascism have all been rooted in white supremacy. Not one of them has not been rooted in white supremacy. They have. I want to test the hypothesis. Exactly. Can we have a capitalist exactly. system that does not, is not rooted in, in, in white supremacy? I don't know if we can. <laughs> oh girl you're giving me chills that's amazing that's what i that's what i want to work on that's yeah well that's why the second edition of the b corp handbook worked for you because you're starting from a foundation of uh triple bottom line economy where we're not just privileging profits which is mm-hmm. the first extraction mm-hmm. of a little bit of white supremacy right so it's not just about profits it's also about people on the planet and then when you're injecting this people orientation, particularly centering and lifting up the experiences of those who have been historically left out of the wealth building parts of society, um, that's exactly what you get when you marry those two. So I look forward to it because I think that there is an elegant solution and it begins with these conversations and it begins with, I mean, the, the, the most, you know, what, what is it that there's a, who said that like biggest trick of the devil was making making you believe that he doesn't exist. That is the mm-hmm. biggest trick of white supremacy, right? The delusion of yes. white supremacy has been incredibly effective because we pretend that it doesn't that it doesn't exist. This is why it's so important to name it and to start breaking down yes. where it is everywhere. Right. Yes. Let's don't say people of color when you mean black people. Don't That's say women right. of color when you mean black women. That's right. Name the thing. I yeah. tell people, I, even when you know, these politicians, they're pissing me off when they figured it. Well, they're not figured out a way because the system is set up that way. But they talk about racism and, and privilege and all that stuff in one sect. And then they want to talk about uh, um, health care and education and, and for all and all this in another. No, that's the same. It's the same boat. Stop separating these things. The one you're saying because you don't want to tie those two together because then then definitely you will be unpopular amongst other white folks um, when you make that make that distinction. But I want to bring up um, the guiding principles of hashtag causes and community are first. Um, tech is not neutral. Second, intention without strategy is chaos. Third, lack of inclusion is a risk management issue. And fourth. Uh, prioritize the most vulnerable. And this is why I stay in the business space. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people we can have conversations about this is the, the right thing to do. That ain't hitting them right. I, I ain't got time to be talking to you. I don't have the bandwidth or the patience to be getting on your moral side. What I need to be talking about is your ROI and hitting you in your pocket. Can you tell me those four things again? I want to write them down. What were they? Um, I can, if that, you, that, that was, I can actually, I'm going to actually email you because we've created a Twitter banner. With those four pillars? Yes. Oh yeah. We oh have my the, God. We, yes, yes. That's brilliant. Like I, I, got, I cannot believe that in four bullet points, you just encapsulated like the whole freaking point of my career. <laughs> <laughs> Girl, where was you and when that's I was our guiding. <laughs> <laughs> And that's that's the guiding principles. Every decision Great. I make, I look through through that lens. Oh, I love it. Um, so when I'm working with my clients, this this is what they have to learn. This is the lens you have to look, look through. We have to, if we're not prioritizing the most vulnerable, the most vulnerable will always be harmed. Yes. When we're prioritizing the most vulnerable, everybody else is taking care everyone of. Everyone gets, everyone wins. I know. Yes. yes. Oh. And so, so I have shifted from also um, from shareholder value versus what is ca- I call stakeholder, stakeholder value. value so sure. it goes from, it goes from, you have to prioritize who works for you first. Mm-hmm. And then you have to look at who partners with you. Mm-hmm. And then you look at who buys from you, mm-hmm. and then you look at who invests in you. The investment comes people last. They go get their people money. People do it all the way backwards. People yes. do that exactly. Yes, backwards. it's you. You're toppling it on its head. Yes, if people work for you are aligned and and feel safe, 
then you they, they can when you're looking at partners, you don't have that issue with your partner um, doing something in, in on Twitter or something. And now you're held accountable because they done yeah. did something stupid. And now yeah. you're, 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 then you look at who buys from you and they understand. That's why I love the B Corp um, understanding or L3Cs. And, uh, um, so I'm seeing the beginnings of capitalism without white supremacy, but no one's naming the thing. And I want to be intentional about naming the thing. So these, this, 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 um, structure, this construct that you're, that you've developed will be featured in the book. That's part of the central. Yes. Oh yes. God, girl, you got to let me know. I want the, I want that one. It hot off the press. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone in the hashtag call the scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles. One, tech is not neutral, nor is it apolitical. Two, intention without strategy is chaos. Three, lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue. And lastly, but most importantly, four, we must prioritize the most vulnerable. To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag causeascene.com. I want that one it hot off the press. So people, let me tell you what I'm doing right now. I am DMing her the documents, the, what what would we call them? The, the, lo- the logo stuff with the, the banner. Yeah. And, and, and one you can share in your Twitter feed um, that you can share out. Yes. Thank you. Um, and I'm trying, yes, I'm trying to get people and I have a LinkedIn one as well. I've changed. So I'm trying to get people to just like I'm sharing um, pronouns now, trying mm-hmm. to get people to share this thing, because as you said, this is why I get, I get frustrated because I am, I've always been a strategist. I've mm-hmm. always, so to me, I think like this. So That's I started great. hashtag cause the scene in March of 2018 but people, many people don't know I'm finishing up my doctorates in business administration, Woo! focusing on technology entrepreneurship. Yeah. Good. yeah, I took, yeah, I took last year off and I'm, and people know why I took last year off. Cause I had, I was already had did the coursework and I was working and I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I got this. I'm working with my clients. And I was like, and I never went to school to get the degree. I went to get the information so I can turn it into knowledge. Sure. And exactly. then I was saying, I'm not here to, to prove shit to white folks. So that's why I stopped. Right. But after a year working with my clients, I woke up, literally woke up one morning. I was like, okay, it's time to finish. <laughs> and then I look at... That's, uh, you know, it, I think it's, it's so wonderful that you're saying that because I literally, I, I have an MBA and a doctorate. And the reason I got the doctorate was because as a very young executive, I was an executive in my 20s, mm-hmm. right? I started my company in my 20s. I was providing executive inclusion coaching for old white men, among other people. And I, you know, the women in my family, we look young mm-hmm. until the day we mm-hmm. die. So mm-hmm. I'm, I, I actually was young, but I looked even younger. And I could tell the people were like, on what authority Eight. is this child in here trying to, trying to tell me something? So I literally pursued, it was the delusion of white supremacy mm-hmm. that caused me to pursue the advanced degree just so that 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 title that honorific would go in front of me and make people feel a little bit more secure but the same thing happened to me it was it was i had a, a crazy stalemate with one of my uh one of my chairs who i had to like wait out until he <laughs> left and then i got to finish it you know finish everything finish the coursework in a couple of years but it took me eight years total because i was stalling mm-hmm. um because i had a, a disagreement with my chair but I, I did. I, by the time I got it, I didn't need it anymore, and I and I understood what I had done. But I finished it. In my case, I did it for my children and for all of the little black boys, girls, and gender nonconforming folks out there, so that they know when you set a goal, go ahead and finish it. Because once you have that piece of paper, once you have achieved that milestone, no one can take it away from you. And it does add to credibility. And, and, and oh, I've already told people, you think my price is high now? Wait till that get to that piece of paper. <laughs> that, that is going to be. Uh, but also the reason. And so, I, like I said, I woke up, decided, OK, let's finish this. Girl, I went back, uh, um, went back looking through my doc study. Tell me why the hell my doc study is not the first part of my damn book. Why is it not? No, no tell me. No, I was being hard. I didn't realize that because I got so like, I don't want to do this anymore. So I'm reading through this. And I'm like, this is the first damn chapter. And you realize that it actually was. Yes. Yeah. I was like floored. Yeah. I was... My, my, my doctorate, my, my study ended up becoming what is the, you know, what is the industry breaking, groundbreaking tool 
that I've been developing the, you know, the, I've been testing tricks for almost 10 years. Mm -hmm. Now I've got, you know, I've got beta, I'm moving to MVP. My stuff is tested and it's moving. <laughs> like I already yes. know my work was proven on longitudinal yes. field study because thank you very much, doctor. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and that is, that was like the joy of that. I was like, oh, I had to take, so I'm a, uh, and so the reason I got a DBA and not a PhD is because I don't want to create theory. I want to test theory. Right. I want to take it out in the wild and see if, if what you're saying works. Girl. And so my theory is, is based on Peter Singh's, um, the learning organization, yeah. which is so what we need for, and uh, from in, in knowledge economy. <laughs> we have so much in common. I don't yes. have a PhD. I have a doctorate of management and organizational leadership because mine is applied. I'm yes. not trying to theorize jack yes. squat. I am trying yes. to apply it in the workplace, make sure it works and proliferate yes. good practices throughout, yes. the, you know, throughout the world. Come on now. Girl, it, girl. we are, see, this is what I love. And this, this so I, there have some people who come on this. do you want, no, I don't want to ask you questions beforehand, nothing. I, I love these moments when we're like, oh my That's God, awesome. there's so much serendipity here. I just love it. So cool. Wow. I, um, so it's like, I'm building this little network of people when I get ready to start doing my research. I'm like, hey, you remember when? Uh-huh. <laughs> I love it. Oh, so let's talk about, because one of the things that pisses me off to no end in tech is, first of all, we use, when you talk of naming things, we use the term technolo te technical incorrectly. Yeah. We use technical only to talk about technology or coding when, and we don't ascribe technical skills to people who aren't at a keyboard all day. Um, whereas I tell them, I have a set of technical skills that many of these mediocre white dudes will never have and are lacking. Um, and I, it will be a long time before you can program out what I do. And so um, when I'm talking about building businesses, when I'm talking about um, um, prioritizing the most vulnerable, I'm talking about how do we stop trying to extrapolate out humanness, even though we cannot do, we are, <laughs> there is no such thing as unbiased, period. As a, as a qualitative researcher, I know that just by, so I've been doing some, um, some of my, um, my, my questionnaires, right? So I'm doing them via right. Zoom, the same thing we're using right now. And I'm really conscious of how I, how I may be agreeing, what my face may be looking like, and my nod in my head, because I don't want to give nonverbal cues to the participants who are in the study. We all have these biases. There is no such thing as non-biased or unbiased data. Mm -hmm. And yet that's the first thing we're trying to do is extrapolate out the human parts so that we have organizations when I say they are not ready for, for this economy, because you don't even, you don't even know how to, you have absolutely no interpersonal skills. You don't know how to, not, none of the things that you don't, at the beginning. So one of the things I love about learning organizations is it's about systems thinking and stops and not silo thinking. We have to move from silo thinking to systems thinking. I really get frustrated when people are like, yeah, my company sucks, but my team is great. Yeah, let your manager go and go somewhere else and see what happens to your damn team. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so wow. I want you to take some time. Tell, first of all, tell me how you became a part of this book. <laughs> Because I was so, I immediately saw your, I was like, oh, I got to get her on the show. And tell, and let's talk a business because people think we have soft skills and I hate that term. Uh, no, I call them interpersonal competencies yeah. because if you don't have those. I call them human centric skills. <laughs> right. Like the, the, the technology that I'm building to uh, quantify diversity ROI, we are measuring um, across 80 different interpersonal and organizational competencies. We need to stop calling them soft skills. It's terrible. So, okay. So I'm going to give you this time to break all this down. I'm about, I'm about to put myself on mute because I want you to take the time to, because that's another thing. So I, the, where I was starting with that, because I don't code, I'm people always questioning, is she even in tech? What does she know? I'm like, okay. So I need you to break down because all you people who code and if there's no business around you, you have nothing. Mm -hmm. um, and this is what I often find. Most people, most 
I call them organizations because they're not businesses. What they've been able to do is scale a product or service. You don't have a business because mm-hmm. you have no process procedures, nothing in place to make it a business. What you've been able to do is scale a product or service. So I want to let you spend some time breaking that down as the expert. You go ahead. Well, the first thing I'll, I'll the first question was how I got involved with that book. And, and in 2014, that when the first edition of the B Corp handbook came out, um, my company and I were actually featured as one of the case studies. And, you know, my TMI Consulting was the first diversity-focused company in the world to get B-certified. Um, so that's how I landed in the book. And then when Ryan Honeyman, the author of the first book, uh, got ready to write the second one, he and I had developed a friendship through the B Corp Network and the B Champions Retreats. He asked me if I would rewrite the book with him from the perspective, like through the lens of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And of course, you know, I, this... This wonderful white man asked me if I would if I would rewrite his best selling book. Of course I would, and I, I do owe a, an interesting debt of gratitude to Ryan Honeyman for that because he was the first person who it was hilarious that it was ultimately a white man who kind of gave me permission to stare at the delusion of white supremacy um, and very unapologetically because he's really on fire about that topic and he helped um, start something called the the Dismantle Collective where they're you know dismantling white supremacy and it's a, a it's a a people of color led organization, but he helped plant the seed to kind of make that happen. And now there's a conference and a business and all kinds of things, but he invited me to rewrite it. And I think probably about 30% of the book or so um, is this, this diversity content that links back to everything that's being measured through the B impact assessment um, and really very explicitly lays out how, how centering um, you know, the more vulnerable folks, uh, people of color and the otherwise historically marginalized or underserved folks can actually not only make the world a more thriving place, but actually drive business and create a different kind of economy altogether. So it was an honor and a privilege to be part of that. And, you know, we continue to work together on that journey and it's been really great. As far as um, being, you know, now a, a, a leader in tech, it's interesting because I'm, I'm also not a technical person in the coding sense, but you're right. Technology is, involves systems that improve processes that make things better. I mean, there's, <laughs> we, the information technology, di- digital aspect of things has, uh, gets all of the, all the highlights and all the love, but that's not where technology ends and begins. Uh, but that said, uh, I, I developed a, a, a company. I had a, I have a business, um, you know, I've got 32 total associates, you know, kind of around the world who help uh, drive diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, primarily in the workplace, but also in communities and within institutions and structures. But what happened for me was, you know, in 16 years, I've never solicited a client. I never knocked on a door and asked anyone to be my, my you know, to work with me. It was all through word of mouth. I focus on quality on delivering real transformational change within organizations, and then one client to the next uh, reaches out and tells somebody else about it, and that's what what happened. But what we ended up doing was we we really kind of inadvertently, through my doctorate work and through uh, the requests and relationships with clients, we ended up longitudinally field testing um, a you know kind of a now what is a proven proprietary process that actually uh, quantifies the organizational change and holds both my company and the client company accountable for the change. That we've calibrated. So, uh, what we have now is a, a software platform where we are measuring, mapping, and improving organizational culture. Ultimately, will be an artificial intelligence play, and also recognizing that technology, like everything else, has bias built into it. So, one of the things that I'm doing to mitigate the bias built into my tool, which, by the way, also measures unconscious bias, which is super dope. Um, <laughs> one of the ways that I'm addressing the bias that's built into code is I cannot, with a piece of diversity ROI tech that actually measures, like I said, 80 different interpersonal and organizational competencies across 11 categories, I can't afford to have the usual suspects coding for me. I can't have a room full of white men coding for me on a diversity platform. So it is imperative that my coders, I have you know, LGBT code, I've got code, I've got old code, like the old heads who started way in the beginning of coding. Um, you know, I've got code of color, I've got international code, I've got people who represent all kinds of visible and, and invisible diversity are the folks who are responsible for helping create this product because that is the best way, that is one of the ways um, to, to mitigate that risk of, of embedding co- uh, bias into code. Because as, as with 
you know, literature, poetry, your signature, your stamp, the subset of your experiences is embedded and it's, it's marked into what you create. Like, you know, your favorite author when you read your favorite author, because they have a way of writing in, in which their spirit is imbued into, you know, that piece of prose or whatever it is. Same thing happens with coders, whoever you are gets locked into your code. So you've got to be able to um, create something that is representative across a pretty broad spectrum. So yeah, so the idea that um, you know that we're we're actually quantifying uh, diversity ROI, we're giving people a path to implementation that actually tells people how to get their organization from where they are to where they want to be through this calibrated uh, technology. If they don't know their destination, we actually can calibrate that within the tool to help them figure that out. Because a lot of people are out here doing diversity work and they don't even know why. You know, they're just doing it because it's the flavor of the year and everybody else is doing it. We're going to look bad. You got to know specifically why you want diversity. I'd rather you not even start. Don't even play with it. Oh, if you yes. don't know what it is because that you're you doing. Are gonna because harm. you're causing harm. You're going to cause harm. Right? Exactly. And it's going to cause harm to people who look like me. Good Lord. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. So we want to know granularly down to the nitty gritty specifics. Why specifically do you want diversity at this organization? And how specifically is it going to help you accomplish what you came to accomplish? And it's totally okay if part of it is a social justice reason. If you woke up and you realize, holy crap, you know, my organization is nothing but white people and that's not okay. That's one good reason, but let's find 17 more. Yes. Let's get mm-hmm. really specific about how these mm-hmm. good people mm-hmm. are going to deliver mm-hmm. and share their time and talent with you in service of your goals. And let's figure out how that's going to work because, you know, the people, the people who you've already hired, I promise you, they're not ready. Mm-hmm. Oh. They are not ready. <laughs> and we got to get them ready. So it's funny because I, I have my clients write um, um, biweekly blog posts about what we're working on because this information has to scale. I can't. It, me working with you doesn't work. Just, that, that stays within your organization. And one of the upcoming blog posts is going to be um, your, your organization is not the name, but the content is basically your organization is not ready for DNI. Right. That's why you're failing. Yep. And, 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 and this is one of the things I am not, so I get, you know, people, because I'm the, the black girl doing this work, uh-huh. I get all these emails and, and posts and shares about when they've hired some other black woman to be in this position. And I'm like, I am not impressed because if this black woman doesn't have the autonomy, autonomy to make decisions, have a budget, yep. a budget that they can use without having to get permission and can hold people accountable for whatever, then that is a waste of time. You have put, you have set this person up for failure and then you can check it off on your box. Well, we tried and she it just know. didn't work. Mm-hmm. And in the whole time, this young woman is getting gaslit. This whole time she is being harmed doing the work that you said that, um, that you wanted them to do. And I would rather you not do that. Yep. And there's, there's two things I want to share with you that I feel like are like my core things that, you know, kind of help move the needle here. It's like one is the three top reasons that I see people failing. Um, one is the, is the insufficient buy-in from the top. If leadership is not seriously about this, then, you know, it's not going to work. And- oh, none of my clients. If you're not business, if you're not the decision maker, I can't, I don't have the bandwidth. <laughs> Not messing with you. Exactly. Yeah, and and it also needs to be in my, in, in, I believe that the most successful people make it one of the top three priorities. If it can't be one of the top three priorities, exactly. then don't even waste your time. The second one is yep. the, um, the failure to define clear, measurable goals. If we're just doing this to be doing this, I can't mm-hmm. help my clients be successful if we don't define goals, which is why I'm obsessed with this tech. You cannot manage, but you cannot measure. <laughs> right. I can't, I, I'm obsessed with this calibration and this ROI tech because Mm-hmm. It helps us define clear, specific goals around what we're trying to do. And then the third one is exactly what you just said, accountability. If we don't embed true accountability, right? If we've defined what, what are these inclusive behaviors? Why are we trying to do this? How are we expecting people to interact with each other? I don't care if it is your you know, number two executive. If people continue to behave in ways that cause harm, if you're not prepared to, to actually implement real consequences from affecting your you know, bonus and compensation to, to outright exiting you from the company, then you will never be successful because it's inauthentic. I'm now ready to articulate and to publicly share my need to shift from causing the scene. Currently this work, this push for equity, for minimizing harm, and for prioritizing the most vulnerable is collectively viewed by many as noise, bullying, troublemaking, as contrarian for controversy's sake, 
rather than what it is, a necessary evolution for the overall health and well-being of those who work for us, partner with us, buy from us, invest in us, and society as a whole. My focus from this day forward is to forge a path to welcoming and psychological safety in systems, institutions, and policies at scale because I will no longer put new wine into old wineskins. My team and I will be spending the next few months making the necessary changes to ensure that my new commitment to doing the proactive work of leading a movement framed by the guiding principles and seen through an anti-racist lens strategically happens with a relaunch on Juneteenth. To be kept informed of our progress, please follow me on Twitter at K-I-M-C-R-A-Y-T-O-N-1, Kim Creighton 1, and on our new Kim Creighton's Community Cafe Discord server. When I started Hashtag Cause a Scene in 2019, it was out of my frustration that no one was listening. Now that you're listening, it's time to get to work. Thank you for the years of support, and I'll meet you on the other side. Have a wonderful day. never be successful because it's inauthentic and we see that and we see that in tech on the micro level with code of conducts mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you have so many people pushing back on code of conduct it's like dudes this is the bare minimum That's right this is a code of conduct is the absolute bare minimum yep. that is so reactive there is nothing proactive about a code of conduct yep. because now once i put the code of conduct in place hopefully you didn't just copy and paste you tailored <laughs> it to your exactly. you tailored it to your situation and then you've you you've had a conversation about why just like people are like oh no sex i've i've, I've um, consulted on several code of conducts i'm like you need to take this sexual harassment um no sexual harassment out of here if you're not going to define it because what I consider sexual harassment and what somebody else considered as sexual harassment totally can be different things. totally different things. And if you have not defined it, you cannot have anybody hold anybody accountable for it. Because somebody who thinks um, I've asked you three times to leave me alone is sexual harassment to somebody who's like, well, I didn't rape her. That's a that's a that's a big golf. Oh, God, that's crazy. <laughs> that's a big golf. <laughs> Wow. And so if you haven't defined what that looks like in your community, how do you hold anybody accountable to anything? Yep. That's it. You've got to be, got to be clear. No more. I mean, and this is. So, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, woo. Okay. So I want to go back in our last, because I want to go back to where we started before we even started this kind before okay. I was like, I don't talk until you start recording. <laughs> so you were talking about <laughs> your article, the your white education. And tell me what you were saying when you start, you're like this. Cause I, cause I was like, are you talking, when I mentioned it, you were like my article that did what now, what did you say? Oh, that was? so yeah. It <laughs> basically said that, you know, I don't, I don't give a rip about the delusion of white supremacy. Um, because once upon a time, like if you had said to me, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, that I would be naming the delusion of white supremacy out loud and, you know, putting, putting out, ideas and strategies to combat it and holding, you know, folks accountable, particularly white folks accountable for uh, their behavior, I would not have believed you because I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a gentle spirit. I'm a, I'm a kind soul that wishes nothing but love and grace mm-hmm. to people. But what I'm recognizing is, you know, we're running out of time. We've been hundreds of years invested in mm-hmm. a, you know, a social construct mm-hmm. that is nothing mm-hmm. but harmful. Mm-hmm. And there mm-hmm. is no more room for the tolerance um, of, mm-hmm people who are, are allowed to be walking in, this, in their sleep um, and, and just causing harm and saying, oh, no, but I'm a good person. No, 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 boo-boo. If you're a good person, then you need to understand exactly what your whiteness means and you need to understand what kind of harm that it has caused and continues to cause on a daily basis, no matter how you know, woke and good you think you are. This is, this is, this is mandatory learning for people. And, and again... You know, that's, that's one of the reasons I love Ibram X. Kendi is because, you know, he, he, he put out a pretty challenging notion. People, people have said for a long time that, oh, black people can't be racist because racism is prejudice plus power. And there is something to that. But what Kendi says is you, there's a whole lot of black people who do have power. Like us, for instance, we run our own organizations. We do have the, fire, the power to hire and fire people, maybe not at the scale of other things. And, and systemically, we're not, we don't have as much of that kind of influences, but we do have uh, all kinds of people, people of color, black folks, you know, in courts, our former president, et cetera, et cetera. 
That said, anyone can have a racist idea. Anyone can behave in a racist fashion. Unfortunately for white people, the entire system, everything that we know has been constructed around this delusion that whiteness is superior and that white people are entitled to all kinds of privileges and to all kinds of passes that everyone else is not. And it's important for the white people who are trying to see worldwide change and meaningful change and equanimity. It's, it's important for them to, um, to get down to the business of really understanding where this came from and, and what it means. There is no more hiding in the shadows. And I'm personally blown away that I have found my voice in this space and that I'm willing to stand up and say it. Because what I know is one day I will be dead, okay? And I will be damned if I'm going to go out knowing what I know now and seeing what I see now and not trying to help shake people out of this coma. Okay, so you said some, oh, some very interesting things. So um, um, I'm going to end on, I'm, I'm going to bring us back to Kendi. So you, you talk, I, I too, I have always been a, 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 um, but why? But, but okay, I can't go into the woods, but why? Why won't you? Let, well, okay, so, yeah, that don't make no sense to me. So I'm going to go in the woods, kind of. I've always been that. And I've always, but what I've, what I've as I've unpacked mm-hmm. this thing of white supremacy, I mm-hmm. started with, um, I think it was, it definitely was Kendi when I was listening to Seeing, right, Seeing White series. And it was another podcast he was on, and he was talking about when that was, that was first, um, introduced to the difference between segregationist assimilationist um and 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 um and anti-racist and it was really interesting because i started really thinking about civility <laughs> and i was like civility is optional for whiteness it is the expected behavior of people of color because that's how white supremacy has has mm-hmm. taught us and taught whiteness that that's how we manage our own behavior so that um, so I have a, one of the hashtag cause the scene shirt says, fuck civility. Um, I'm done. I, 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 I'm, mm-hmm. I, 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 yeah, I can't play this game. And I'm just like you. I, once mm-hmm. I knew I couldn't, I cannot not say, um, I'm, and, and I'm going to be really honest. There was a reason because uh, so when this airs, this is out right after the holiday season, everyone, I did mm-hmm. not go to two family functions because I knew there were going to be white people there that when you bring white people in black spaces, our, our behavior changes. Uh, we accommodate whiteness. We, we want to make sure you're comfortable. And I'm not doing that shit anymore. So when, 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 when mm. people ask me what I do for a living, mm. if there are white people around, particular family stuff, folks start whispering. Mm. And they start saying, they don't say white, they say white. No, I ain't got time for all that. I'm not doing the whispering. I'm not doing anything. So to, to mitigate, um, them be, and, and I'm also aware that I've made this choice not to comfort or the, uh, my, the comfort of white people is no longer my responsibility. If you need help, you need to go get therapy. It's not my issue anymore. But I recognize that's my choice. And I don't want to, and I try not to put other people in that position because I know that that has consequences that they don't want to deal with. So I said, you know what? I'm not going to go to these events because I refuse to be, these white women will come into the space and not speak. And I, I'm, I'm not doing all that. I'm not, I'm not doing it. So, so I'm just going to stay my ass at home and eat me some crab legs. That's what I'm going to do over the holiday. Um, Cause that's, that's, <laughs> that's that civility thing. And I'm like, I'm not doing it. If it, if, if your comfort comes at the expense of my discomfort, I'm not doing it. Amen. Well, I, I see. And this is where, this is where I think that you will love the pleasure activism because you privilege your own joy which is absolutely fantastic because as, as a black woman, uh, the narratives and the constructs that have been built around us, you know, have like, and pleasure, pleasure runs on the whole spectrum from, you know, I'm wake up in the morning and the sun shining on my face and it just feels good. And I'm happy all the way down to everything to do with eroticism and sexuality, our relationship to that and the way that the narratives have been written around black women and our, and our pleasure and our joy are completely jacked up. So any opportunity that a black woman in particular has, has to claim her own joy, claim her pleasure, claim her sexuality and live right the heck into it. That is again, an act of revolutionary defiance and so very important. So I've already bookmarked that. So I will be getting that because I've always been, I've been attracted to like Tantra and all those things because for me, that sexual energy is about creativity. It's power. So I'm, I'm, yes. So you just hit girl. So why do you think the misogynistic <laughs> aspect of white delusion of white supremacy is, is always trying to cover us up, 
hide us, control our bodies, oh, yes. tell us that we're yes. dirty, tell us that we're this, yes. because a woman, yes. particularly a woman of color, leaning into her sexuality and her sexual power and yes. all of the glory that is that body and that ability to emanate joy and radiate pleasure and happiness, that is a, that, those are superpowers. When, when we own you are that, speaking to my soul we are right now. <laughs> super, or super powerful super beings that can accomplish just about everything. So when I say I'm an awareness mm-hmm. artist and I'm trying mm-hmm. to help make sure that people understand that social justice can be one of the most pleasurable things that we can do, that encapsulates all of it. And that's what people don't understand. I enjoy yeah. this work. They think I'm just doing it out of no. I enjoy. I enjoy. I love seeing when someone tweets something like Kim said this, and this made me think of this, and I'm going to write a whole thread on it, and I'm going to share. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that was the one thing I wanted to talk about. Um. The second thing is how you highlight whiteness studies. Oh Lord, have mercy. <laughs> um. I have. I no longer recommend white fragility. I no longer use the term white fragility. Mm-hmm. Um, because it has, although it was uh, when um, uh, Robin D'Angelo coined it, I'll use yeah. that word, it was an academic term. It right. has now been used as a term as a, um, uh, oh, I didn't know. I didn't um, an advocate responsibility kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and what white people need to understand, when you become, your fragility is not one-sided. Your fragility has a cause and effect. And people in the, who are most vulnerable end up being harmed based on your fragility. You get hurt from it. Absolutely. Um, I see this, and I keep talking about this. I see this with white trans women when they come into brown and black lesbian spaces. Um, I have mm-hmm. so many brown and black lesbians come to me telling me these stories about how white trans women who are used to, to, who are used to being individual, because whiteness is about the individual. Everybody else is about groups. They come in and they're center whiteness. And when you center whiteness, whatever marginalization you have goes out the window because now these women, non-binary individuals who, are, who have created a safe space for themselves are in defense mode. So you can't right. just throw, call them a tr- turf when you came in and said they can't talk about their wombs, they can't talk about giving birth, they can't talk about their cycles, they can't talk about anything because all you want to talk about is what we have in common and that's being a woman. We can't do that. That is called that is terrorizing that group, and you need to stop it. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. So white studies is I, I although I understand where it, and, and this is where again when I talk like I talk about Stack Overflow, mm-hmm. what how they how they created it and how it's being used now. I don't care what you create, what your intention is. It's the impact. So white studies, I understand what the intention is, but the impact has now become quote-unquote white woke white folks using it as a weapon to not do the work that you've been talking about they need to do and put the responsibility on themselves and other people and not on other people so what i like about white studies and the construct is you know you know obviously we've got african-american studies right Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and african-american studies should be you know should be called you know american history (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah yeah (laughs) exactly have to be isolated it exists because we have failed to accurately and truthfully embed it into our curriculum however mm-hmm. it serves mm-hmm. its purpose what i like about the idea of white studies is that like until five minutes ago white people didn't even understand didn't even know oh yeah they- uh, whiteness was totally unexamined it's yes exactly yes. exactly no so I, I get it if you come at it from an academic i'm doing yes. this because i need to understand myself that's fine but what I'm seeing in the wild is not how it's being used. But see, and, and that's how, but that has always, so that's just the, 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 um, the warriors. That's the social justice warriors have always done that. Social justice warriors have been out here from time immemorial. Mm-hmm. You know, they start mm-hmm. doing their work. And then, and again, this is another delusion of white supremacy construct. Mm-hmm. Everything's a fucking competition to these people, right? And so they yes. go, and they, they go mm. oh yeah. And I have to have my, and I, I will take my ally and take it away. Who told you you was an ally? Exactly. <laughs> so I, I learned something and it's, I, I, my favorite analogy to that is like, it's as if it, it, to me, the white folks shaming white folks because they haven't done the work yet, you know, in, in some of the ways, like holding people accountable and, and ushering them into a space where they're able to do the examination and do the work fine, but shaming people, shutting them up and, and t- telling them that they're, horrible human beings because they aren't as far along as, as I am, or as the next person is, it's, it's so counterproductive. That does not make the work pleasurable. That does not drive change. That is as useful as, you know, if you think about a a church saying, no, you got to sit down and shut up. You don't get to 
take communion because, you know, Jesus doesn't love you yet or whatever, right? You can't pray here because you're not all the way, whatever it is. Like, you can't do that. Like, we've got to make room for people to be where they are on their journey. To me, the most important Yes, you got to meet people where they are. Mm-hmm. Right. Is Are you genuinely trying to yes, do the work? Yes. Are you trying to, to look at this? Are you trying to examine yourself? If you are doing that in all earnestness, great. Like well, I am all there for it. Now, if you're full of crap yeah. and you're, that's why, that's why in that article I said, there's no cheat codes, there's no yes. notes, there's yes. no short yes. way around it. Yes. It's hard work and I expect you to put it in. But if you're putting in the work and you are genuinely trying and you are apologizing when you cause harm and you're willing to you know, not use your whiteness as a weapon when you when you mess up and when you don't, then we're cool. Um, it's a it's it's a, it's a hard needle to thread. <laughs> this is my this is my baseline engagement boundary that I have. I say all whiteness is racist by default. So that that's to me is that that is. But what I'm looking for is and and and, and then and I say all racist is racist by design and cannot be trusted by default without consistent demonstrated anti-racist behavior. Oh. Because Amen. whiteness is used to getting the def- benefit of the doubt, the default. And no, 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 we're not doing that anymore. Um, I don't, I'm black. You never give me the benefit of the doubt. So we're going we gonna to no. be on equal terms. You're going to have to earn trust. Right. Um, and that brings me back to, because I want to end, because I want to make sure we have this conversation. Because I, two things that I've challenged Kendi and I've talked about in, as we break down the episodes in this community. One is, he says, um, anti-racist, anti-capitalism. And I said, I want to see that I, I believe there can be an anti-racist capitalism. So that's where um, I want to focus my attention. It wouldn't look like capitalism as we know it is the problem. Exactly. I, I, I believe you that there is a possibility, but it would be such a huge divergence from what currently stands as capitalism, that it would be not capitalism by default. And so, but then my thing though with that is I look at definitions and if you look just at the definition of capitalism, it's just a theory. Mm-hmm. So that's how I hold on to it. If we can take that theory and not embed white supremacy, it is still capitalism based on that, how capitalism is defined. So okay. that, so that's the one, that's one thing. I fundamentally disagree with Black people can be racist. I believe we, as I said before, we have internalized white supremacy and and definitely anti-blackness at various degrees. Mm-hmm. Where if I'm looking at things, because I'm a systems person, if I'm looking at the systems, even right. the only powers black people ever have are powers that are bestowed upon them from a white supremacist system. If I cannot create my own power and it has to come from a system and had and can be thus taken away by that system, I don't have inter- an inherent power. So I do believe we can say racist. I believe so you don't believe that we can be racist. You know, once we're within that structure that once we've been bestowed that power, can we be racist? I, I believe I see because th- this is because when I look at Candace Owens and all these other people, they serve their role is to serve white supremacy. Nothing about what they're doing serves them individually if it's not condoned by white supremacy. So, it, it's, and there's historical references to black people who've done this work, we're all rah, rah, rah for white supremacy. They make one step, misstep, and they're gone. And they're gone. That is not, that, that is, so you can be racist, you can have racist ass ideas, um, because we've been all we've been all designed to have them. We, and when way, I look yeah. at and I look at um, how how I've been as a middle class black person, because I have this, I can say the same thing to you. I've not had those traumas that many people in my, in my community have, and I have been been taught, or oh, well, not been taught, been under the the, the illusion because you know every we are we're, white supremacy also creates makes us think that we're all having the same experience and we're not and so we don't understand when we're not we're doing the same thing as as this white person we're not getting the same results um so i can say that as an individual i have been prejudiced against poor black people in the past because that's how i've been designed um um Mm-hmm. I, I, that's how I would, you know, that middle class, you know, it's their fault. I, I, no one ever told me yep. to challenge the systems exactly. or whatever. But even with Barack Obama, oh. as he uses this, the examples of Barack Obama, and I cannot remember who his, uh, I can't remember who, who else he uses. But even in that, what could that man actually get accomplished with Mitch McConnell? Oh, 
um, as 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 um, as the head of the Senate. So this is why that's that's the that's the one caveat. And I really so when I first read it in the introduction, I told my community, hey, this is where I'm I'm, I'm going to be open to. This is a, a something that I see different from what we've been talking about, and I'm open to that. Mm-hmm. So let me continue reading. So it wasn't until we got to chapter four, chapter five, where I was like, ah, now I see what the issue, where, where I take issue or where I see the difference is. Because I don't care. Um, you can look at Jay-Z. It does not matter money. His wife almost died in childbirth. It does not matter. Um, uh, Serena almost died in childbirth. Um, she's always compared to a monkey. We do not have any powers, system power that is not given to us by white supremacy. That's the difference that I, that, that's the only, now there's some asshole black folks out here that I would not want to be around. And I tell people all the time, the one thing I can tell you that I, I wouldn't want to be at a dinner table with Omarosa, but I can tell you that white supremacy discounted her as a black woman so much that she was allowed to take recording equipment in the situation room. How the hell does that happen? Because she was just like, one of them slaves back in the day who the white folks sitting around the table talking and black folks don't even exist. So, so would you, so do you believe that the delusion of white supremacy also grants white people the same powers? No. Or you're just, or, or is your, because I would, I would say, cause I'm, I'm with you. I'm a systems thinker. I'm a big picture thinker. So I get no, the theory. delusion for <laughs> the delusion of, um, as you call it, delusion of white supremacy got poor white folks not understanding they would be better aligned with poor other folks. Um, then, then these, then Trump, that right there is an issue. Um, and now, and I'm trying to get the guy who, who wrote, um, shoot, what is the name of that book? Um, Dying of Whiteness on this show. So he can break that down to folks because there's many white people who have, um, who will work to their own disadvantage. Disenfranchised. They will work to their own disadvantage in protection of white supremacy. We see it with white women. They literally breed white supremacy. Mm, Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, that's why that's why the delusion is a scary, scary sickness, and I refer to it as an infection. Yeah, no one's immune. No, and so that's why I say no, no one, no one escapes it. Not even white men, because if, if I'm in tech, and as you said, because I I say this all the time. This is one of people know. This is one of my favorite, my main things. Black women are the moral compass of this country. Period. And as as you that joy scares the hell out of white black white men. I see it every time I challenge them on Twitter and they block me. I see it every I'm just asking the question that they don't so they're not even they're not even safe cuz they're they're in the rat race, rat race. They're trying to figure out this thing cuz they've never examined it themselves. They have been mm-hmm. taught to believe that everything they've gotten was by their own effort. Then it comes a person <laughs> like me to come in and say, no, nah, bruh, no, nah, bruh. That has to be a paradigm shift that fucks with your head because everything you've been taught. I mean, this is a thing. Like, I, I'm, I'm so excited. First of all, I'm excited because the lexicon of our trade is now part of the common vernacular. Yes! That is exciting, <laughs> right? I never thought I'd see that. But I think, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry for the discomfort, guys. That, that's sucks but i think it's amazing that in 2020 like white people don't get to escape anymore like they're they're right comfort between two between every third post on instagram is a black woman in power like they're yeah their people are afraid to they're afraid to shake hands to hug a woman to say anything to black people and it's like welcome to the, 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 the to the, our world. Welcome to the acrobatics and the jumping through the fiery hoops that, that we've been doing forever to accommodate y'all. Welcome to a tiny, tiny flavor of that. And oh my God, are they uncomfortable. And I'm hoping... Oh, I tell them all the time. I, I, I let them know. And when I do my talks, I need you to understand what it takes for us to write a goddamn email yeah. to y'all. How much effort and energy I have to, to expend when feelings. I don't anymore. I, to detect it, I could be your supervisor telling you, critiquing you with some legitimate. I can have data out the wazoo. I can have video Doesn't recording matter. of Doesn't your ass matter. doing something, and it does not matter, matter because you were getting your feelings, and then you would go to HR, and now I'm an aggressor. Right. Now we're not even talking about the email anymore. It's talking about your feelings and and versus the impact of your behavior. Ooh. Yeah, I'm well, no I hope longer that they use this energy 
to grow because, I mean, obviously we know that there's a whole bunch of them who are not using the energy to grow and they're using the energy to take up arms and and shoot people and and use their power in even more dangerous ways. But guess what, y'all? That ain't new. That has never, that began from the beginning and has never stopped. And that's why, and that's why I'm not freaked out. That, that is, people just like, how do you stay positive? I'm a student of history. We've been here before. Y'all have never, y'all don't have the coping skills for this. We do. We from, from how we come out of our house have learned how to cope with, y'all don't have this. This is why y'all freaking out. This is nothing new to us. Not at all. Uh, And so, so we're at a tipping point. And, and people are like, why are you? Because we're at a tipping point. We are. Like you said, we are everywhere. We are getting, in, we are bolder every day. And my, this They're, is my call to, my call to black people and particularly to black women and gender nonconforming people. I'm going to need y'all to find your joy. I'm going to need you to live into your joy. I'm going to need you to identify that which makes your soul sing and smile. Yes. And I need you to radiate yes. that light around the world because right now we are blinding the man. And that yes. blinding light actually stands a chance of, 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 of course correcting this historical yes. ailment. Yes. And the, the, the cure to this bullshit is the blinding light of our joy and our happiness yes. and our success and our yes. love. Like, yes, this, yes, yes, yes. And that's what I tell people. I was like, y'all think I'm doing this because I, dude, if I didn't, wasn't happy doing this, I wouldn't be doing this for you. Come on now. <laughs> Mm-hmm. No, so that's what the hashtag cause scene community is. It's it's literally it. majority white folks who realize all, most of them all of a sudden that they're complicit in the harming of people that they care about. Yeah. So, what would you like to say in your final moments? This has been a marvelous conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so fun, so fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I'm at Tiffany Donna on most social media. I think I, I thought I was cute back when Twitter first came out and I'm twitching Jana on Twitter with a W. Um, but I just launched a YouTube series called Life with Doc Jana. And for anybody who's interested in the journey of awareness, artistry and pleasure activism, uh, subscribe to my channel and check it out. I'm definitely about to get this pleasure activism book um, mm, 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 <laughs> because it speaks to what I've been awesome. seeking right now. So yeah. I just love that. Yeah. I love that. So thank you so much for being on the show and have a wonderful day you too thanks so much for having me thank you for listening to this week's episode of the hashtag cause the scene podcast and i'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the hashtag cause the scene movement of course we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the hashtag cause the scene community just visit the website at hashtag cause to sign up today on behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Call the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.